Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Search, Ponder, and Pray podcast, where we strive to do our best to follow the Come, Follow Me outline provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as well as become more dedicated and more devout disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you've all had a wonderful week, had a good weekend, enjoyed the Sabbath. Uh, I hope you're all refreshed and ready for this new week. Um, for those of us who live in Utah, it looks like it's going to be a snowy one. Uh, for everyone elsewhere, I hope that uh, it's not too hectic for you, that you're able to um, enjoy the, the moisture that you receive, and that it's not uh, not a burden as much as it sometimes can be. Anyways, we're going to jump in today right into the scriptures. We're going to jump into the first chapter of the Book of Mormon. Um, before I get, I'm gonna, I have a little bit of a spiel, but before I get started on it, let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer, and then we can go ahead and get going. Our dear Father, we thank thee so very much for this day. Father, we are thankful for the scriptures and the miracle of the Book of Mormon. We thank thee for all that thou hast done for us. Father, we plead with thee to please bless us with thy spirit, that we might be able to understand what thou hast laid before us, that we might come closer to thee as we study, that we might feel of thy spirit and become more dedicated disciples. Forgive us of our sins, Father, and we pray for these things ever so humbly in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, well, um, so let's go ahead and jump in. For those of us who may be lifelong members or who are who have had the opportunity and the the joy of reading through the Book of Mormon several times or attempting to read the Book of Mormon several times, I I worry that sometimes we we come to First Nephi and we're kind of like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I I know all the story. I know that I know the whole the whole I Nephi having been born in goodly parents. I get it, I get it. Let's kind of jump through it a little bit. And we kinda of gla we kinda of glaze through it. And we kind of get lost, and then, then we get to the, that, the second Nephi, Isaiah chapters, and we kind of get befuddled, and it, it's it's kind of a happen, this cycle that kind of goes through. And I, I, I want us to jump in today, as we jump into first Nephi, let's try and look at it with new eyes. As we study it together, and as we, as we do our best to try and put aside those, um, those, I guess you could say, you could say preconceived notions. To some extent, those, um, yeah, I guess there are preconceived notions, our, our pre-programmed ideas that, well, I already know the story, so we're just going to kind of glaze through it. Um, so let's kind of, let's do our best, and we're going to start actually in the introduction of uh, first the first book of Nephi. We're going we're gonna to really try and dive in today. So, the first book of Nephi, his reign and ministry, an account of Lehi and his wife Sariah, and his four sons, being called, beginning at the eldest, Laman, Lemuel, Sam, and Nephi. The Lord warns Lehi to depart out of the land of Jerusalem, because he prophesieth unto the people concerning their iniquity, and they seek to destroy his life. He taketh three days' journey into the wilderness with his family. Nephi taketh his brethren, and returneth to the land of Jerusalem after the record of the Jews. The account of their sufferings. They take the daughters of Ishmael to wife. They take their families and depart into the wilderness. Their sufferings and afflictions in the wilderness. The course of their travels. They come, into large, they come to the large waters. Nephi's brethren rebel against him. He confoundeth them and buildeth a ship. They call the name of the place Bountiful. 
they crossed the large waters into the promised land, and so forth. This is according to the record, according to the account of Nephi, or in other words, I, Nephi, wrote this record. So if we jump over to the Book of Mormon student manual, um, we start off with the first book of Nephi, his reign and ministry. So it says, in the introduction to First Nephi is a summary of the book and is part of the original text. All introductions in the Book of Mormon are part of the original record given to the Prophet Joseph Smith, including the inserts preceding individual chapters, for example, Mosiah 9 and Alma 21. The brief summaries at the head of each chapter are later additions to help the reader better understand the chapter. As compiler of the Book of Mormon, Mormon faced difficult challenges in determining what to include in the abridged record. To at least two directives got... At least two directives guided his selections. First, the Lord told Mormon to write the things which have been commanded. Second, Mormon saw our day and the conditions that would exist. We understand then that when Mormon made editorial decisions, these two factors were his governing concerns. It may be instructive to compare the length of books in, Mo in the Book of Mormon and the time periods they covered. There's, there's a chart that you can look up um, in the the New Testament in the in the New Testament the Book of Mormon student manual um, that shows the Book of Mormon pages and time periods in the appendix. So if if you have a chance today, I would suggest looking at that. I'm sure I, it's very interesting to see how many pages are dedicated to certain lengths of time. We'll see here that you know we have in the Book of Jerem the book you know those little tiny books in between uh, Jacob and the words of Mormon. Those books span an immense amount of time. There's a lot that happened right through there that we don't have a whole lot about. And then it kind of, it, it, that's, it kind of slows down a little bit through Mosiah until we hit King Benjamin. And then it kind of really slows down through Alma. And then it really slows down and as, as, you know, as we continue to, to proceed. It, it, you'll, it, there's, it's very interesting. And it would be interesting to note the doctrinal depth in those longer, more, uh, more, I guess, the more uh, detailed accounts, not concentrated, but more detailed accounts, how they, how they compare doctrinally to the others. And I don't want to say that those other, those other scriptures or, or chapters don't contain doctrine. There is doctrine on every page to some extent. Now, the Book of Mormon is, is just a wellspring of doctrinal information. Anyways, let's jump into chapter 1, verse 1. The, the, the famous I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents. Therefore, I was taught somewhat in all the learning of my father, and having seen many afflictions in the course of my days. Nevertheless, having been highly favored of the Lord in all my days, yea, having had a great knowledge of the goodness and the mysteries of God, therefore I make a record of my proceedings in my days. So, as I read this... Recently, I was thinking about it. If you if you kind of think about it in a way, it almost sounds like Nephi is saying, "All right, I was born of goodly parents, and I was taught in the language of my fathers, and I, and I saw, and the, so I, I have the ability to write. I, I know how to write. My parents taught me how to write, so that's where I get this knowledge from. My parent, I had good parents that that taught me those things, but." I also had a rough life. There were, there, were, there were many afflictions in my life in the course of my days, but I was still highly favored of the Lord. I, was, I had afflictions, but the Lord, I was still on the Lord's side, and the Lord still had, was, was there for me and cared for me. And because of the great knowledge and, 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 this, and the goodness of God and everything that I know, I'm making this record. 
it almost seems as if it's a that Nephi is explicitly saying, look, I, I, I went through these things. I had these afflictions. I found the Lord and he was the blessing and, and the, and the, the rock upon which I built and that helped me get through my tribulations. And so as a thank you to him, I'll preach his gospel, but also as a blessing to you and a, and a hope that you will, that you will take hold of what I'm teaching you, of, of, that you'll, you'll look at the example of my life. And that you will try to do better than I did, or or at least find the way through my my example. All right. So many afflictions yet highly favored in the in the student manual. Nephi wrote of many afflictions yet also acknowledged many blessings from the Lord. His record recounts numerous trials he and others of his family endured while staying faithful and grateful to the Lord. Nephi felt highly favored because he had come to great knowledge of the goodness of God, and relying on his strength became Nephi's support. The understanding of God's plan gave context to the afflictions Nephi experienced. In contrast, we also see that Laman and Lemuel, as well as many others in the Book of Mormon, required frequent afflictions to remind them of the Lord's blessings. This principle is sadly reaffirmed by the prophet Mormon. Quote, and thus we see that except the Lord doth chasten his people with many afflictions, yea, except he doth visit them with death and with terror and with famine and with all manner of pestilence, they will not remember him. So right there we see the division of two camps. We see the division, uh, we see the, the difference between those who remember God even in their trials and those who require trials to remember God. How often, I know for myself that oftentimes, you know, I'll, I'll be going along and everything's fine and all of a sudden something bad starts to happen and all of a sudden I'm really quick to hit my knees and to start praying and, you know, oh, Heavenly Father, please, I could really use some help right about now. And I'm sure Heavenly Father's saying, all right, well, I'll gladly help you, but I really hope that next time it doesn't take this whole situation for you to straighten up. So let's continue on to verse 2. Um, yea, and I, I make a record in the language of my father, which consists of the learning of the Jews and the language of the Egyptians. Um, so let's jump to the, to the manual. It says that Nephi, verse 2 of Nephi 1 indicates that ne Lehi and Nephi used the language of the Egyptians to record their history onto, old, onto gold plates. 470 years later, King Benjamin taught his sons the language of the Egyptians, which was not only the language of the gold plates, but the language of the brass plates as well. The term Reformed Egyptian only appears in the Book of Mormon in in Mormon 932, Reformed Egyptian appears to be a term that reflects a variation in the language used by Lehi and Nephi. In Mormon 932-33, Moroni indicates that by this day, approximately a thousand years from the time of Lehi and Nephi, both the Egyptian and Hebrew had been altered from what from that used by Lehi and Nephi. Um, so we have that kind of a kind of a linguistic kind of lesson here. Um, some people might find it a little bit dry, and I apologize for that. But I do want to point to one thing. I I once met with a with a man who was under he was he was taking on the task. He was trying to learn Hebrew. I mean, he was, he was pretty good. He was really good at Hebrew, and he was doing his best to as he learned Hebrew to try and translate the book of the English copy or the or whatever language he was reading. I can't remember which one it was, but he was trying to take his copy of the Book of Mormon. He was trying to translate it back into Hebrew. And at one point, I remember him pulling out um, a copy of just First Nephi 
and it was intense. It it wasn't it wasn't in the new um, I guess modern Hebrew. It was it was he was trying to translate it back into the old ancient Hebrew uh, characters and, and whatnot. And it was it was intense. It was impressive how much space and how um, I guess you could say inefficient the the page the page numbers were just because of how how much it was and so it would seem to me that the lord knew um what was required and this is once again one of those things where you you look back on your life and something happens and you think it's impressive to me that if i hadn't done x y or z i wouldn't be ready to do this you know i wouldn't be ready to take on these challenges to do these things and I wonder if, because I know I, I've I've read once that Hugh, that um, brother Hugh Nibley believed that one of the reasons that Lehi and his family knew reformed or not reformed but but the Egyptian language, um, was because of their his trading. They believe he believed that that Lehi was a merchant of some sort and would had a caravan trade between Jerusalem and Egypt. And because of that, he needed to know Egyptian to be able to converse with clients there in, in that area. And that might seem like, well, that's just a lucky coincidence. But I, I would, I would beg that, that to differ that in fact, it was the Lord who had a hand in that and knew exactly who was where and at what point in time. And it wasn't just some miraculous coincidence. So Heavenly Father said, oh, well, it's a good thing you know Egyptian because you don't have enough room on plates to be able to write everything. And you think about the necessity that they were written on plates. We'll learn about this later, probably later in the year, as Alma begins to talk about how really the only things that, that will be written on the plates will be the only things that will survive. And... You think about the the wars that went on in ancient America, and the when the conquistadors and the different nations came in, and the different struggles that went on. A lot of times, many records were burned, either by the opposing force or by the people themselves, in an effort to keep the 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 invaders or the other uh, the other opposing forces, the other. Native Americans, they try and keep them from obtaining those records, to keep them from obtaining their their precious documents. And so you think about all those things and the necessity and the the way things lined up. It's no, it's no nothing short of a, of a grand miracle that the Book of Mormon is what it is today. The amount of work, the amount of planning, the amount of the amount the amount of time that the Lord took to ensure that we could have this. And so I hope that. As we study it, we will honestly remember those things, that we will honestly take it seriously and really soak it up for what it is, because it truly is a miracle, and it truly is a gift, a gift straight from God, that we have this. I'll get down off my soapbox there for a second. All right, verse number three. And I know that the record which I make is true, and I make it with mine own hand, and I make it according to my knowledge. For it came to pass that in the commencement of the first year of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, my father, Lehi, having dwelt in Jer at Jerusalem all, in all his days, and in that same year there came many prophets, prophesying unto the people that they must repent, or the great city Jerusalem must be destroyed. All right, so I want us to think back. This is going to go two years now, not necessarily two years, but about a year and a half ago, we were studying right in this area with... Um, 
with uh, the old the Old Testament, come follow me. And if you remember correctly, I, we have Isaiah, we have Jeremiah, we have those prophets who are preaching about the upcoming destruction of Jerusalem if the people do not repent. And so that that's that's all going at the same time. This is this is right. We're kind of paralleling book of uh, bi- biblical timelines right now. We're kind of still together, and as we as we get further on, we'll, we'll split off. So here in the in the student manual, it says that Babylonian world domination took control of the kingdom of Judah around 605 BC, when Jehoiakim was king of Judah. Jehoiakim attempted to revolt against Babylon. Babylonian forces put Jerusalem under siege. Jehoiakim was either killed or captured. Zedekiah, the uncle of Jehoiakim, was appointed by Babylon to the throne. It was a time of great wickedness among the people of Judah. Immorality and corruption were rampant. This is the the setting of Lehi's day. Shortly after Lehi's departure from the area, Zedekiah attempted another revolt against Babylon, Babylon, resulting in a much greater destruction of Jerusalem at about, about 587 BC. Many people were killed, and most of the rest of the Jews were taken captive into Babylon for the next 70 years. This fulfilled Lehi's prophecies to Judah that if they did not repent, that they would be destroyed. <clears throat> Alright, so with that in mind, we know that this is... that. Right as this is all beginning, they've just undergone this a, a big siege by Babylon, and so it, it really shouldn't be too big of a of an ask to get people to believe that you know. No, I'm serious. If we don't repent, we're going to be destroyed. We we just went through a battle, and the king was just taken out, and we had a new king placed in. And it's not it's not just happenstance. It's not just because we're we're God's chosen people and super great that we weren't destroyed. It was God's mercy shown unto us to give us a little more time to repent. And that's one thing that, that, that we'll discover as we read the Book of Mormon. We'll, we'll find this, this pattern of the Lord eagerly asking people to repent, begging them to repent. Please repent. Pe- pleading with them to please repent. The time is now. We'll, when we get to, to Alma, this is the time to, re- to repair to this. This life is the time for man to prepare to meet God. This is our chance. This is what we've got. This is our time to do the best we can. And we've got chances. The Lord came and, and, and performed the atonement that we could have these chances to repent, that we could become better people, that we might overcome the natural man. But at some point, the Lord has to say, all right, all right, I've continued to ask you to repent. I've continued to ask you to change. And you won't repent. You won't repent. And we see here that I would imagine that Jeremiah and the other prophets who were preaching of about the upcoming destruction were probably very discouraged at times to see the overall lack of interest in the Lord and in the gospel. But if they hadn't been faithful in performing their labors... An entire nation of people would have been lost. And how sad would that be? I imagine that there is some rejoicing by Jeremiah. So here, continuing in the student manual, it says that Nephi said that many prophets came among the people. We know Jeremiah, Obadiah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah were all contemporary prophets who testified in the kingdom of Judah. Jeremiah 35.15 includes a similar comment about numerous prophets being sent by the Lord to warn the people. 
So if any of these, you know, imagine, imagine the joy that Jeremiah, Obadiah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Ze- Zephaniah, all these prophets, and, the other, and, and more for sure, that all these men must have in the Book of Mormon, in seeing that there were a great number of many people, not only Nephites, Lamanites, Mulekites, all those people that, 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 that found the Lord and escaped the destruction of Jerusalem. It must have been somewhat of a of a relief and a, and, a, and a knowledge that their labors and their sufferings as prophets had not been in vain. Continuing on, verse 5, Wherefore it came to pass that my father Lehi, as he went forth, prayed unto the Lord, yea, even with all his heart, in behalf of his people. So we've got... We've got um, Lehi now. He is, he's out walking around. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but I, if you haven't, I would suggest it. It's, it's, um, not to be too personal, but it is, um, a, a, a way in which I find the greatest communion with God, um, to be praying to him as I'm out and about, as I'm walking around, as I'm driving my car, as I'm, whenever I have a minute where I'm by myself, and have a chance to just openly talk to God, openly pray, openly com- converse with Him. And so we see here that Lehi, he, he's been hearing somewhat of what's going on, and he knows he's got neighbors, he's got friends, he has people that he loves and cares about here in Jerusalem. And so he's praying, you know, Heavenly Father, please, please help them. Why are we? Why are you going to destroy them? I don't know if he's fully aware at this point of the wickedness. I think, I think to the same extent that we're aware of the wickedness of the world, that we know often, many, mo, the majority of the world knows. Yeah, the world's not the greatest place. We know that the general gist of kind of that that top dwelling. Yeah, there's there's crime. There's these different things, and then there's those really few, those you know, serial killers, these bad apples that are just little. They're little pinpricks. And so we don't really see too much. But then Lehi, as he's about going about praying, it says in verse 6, And it came to pass, as he prayed unto the Lord, there came a pillar of fire, and dwelt upon a rock before him. And he saw and heard much. And because of the things which he saw and heard, he did quake and tremble exceedingly. So we don't have any information about what what went on in this vision. Other than it was it was very impressive to Lehi. And it made it made an impression on him because of what he saw. And it, it, and it, it led to further revelation, as we see in verse 7. Verse 7, it says, And it came to pass that he returned to his own house at Jerusalem, and he cast himself upon his bed, being overcome with the Spirit and the things which he had seen. Verse 8, And being thus overcome with the Spirit, he was carried away in a vision, even that he saw the heavens open, and he thought he saw God sitting upon his throne, surrounded with numberless concourses of angels, in the attitude of singing and praising their God. That must, you know... Right here, we have this this high of highs. We have this moment of just absolute rapture. Seeing God sitting upon his throne and the heavens open to you. This this life-changing day to be having. To be going from, I'm at work, I'm going about my day, doing whatever I need to do. To, to, to I'm saying a prayer to all of a sudden God is openly and directly communicating to you. 
Verse 9, And he came to pass that he saw one descending out of the midst of, of heaven, and he beheld that his luster was above that of the sun at noonday. And he also saw twelve others following him, and their brightness did exceed that of the stars in the firmament. And they came down and went forth upon the face of the earth, and the first came and stood before my father, and gave unto him a book, and bade him that he should read. And it came to pass that as he read, he was filled with the Spirit of the Lord. All right, so we're still on this high of highs, just this. Now he's seeing the Son of God and the twelve apostles and the work that they will be doing upon the earth and seeing the salvation of Israel. And that it, this is not necessarily the end. And to not be, there's this, there's this hope that is being, that is being provided to Lehi. As he's praying for his people, please don't destroy all of Israel. Please don't destroy my people. And now he's seeing the the continuation of God's love as he tries to save all those that will be that will be saved. But now comes the other side of that coin. Now he's going to see what truly is going on in his life. Verse thirteen, and he read, saying, "Woe, woe unto Jerusalem! For I have seen thine abominations. Yea, and many things did my father read concerning Jerusalem." that it should be destroyed, and the inhabitants thereof. Many should perish by the sword, and many should be carried away captive into Babylon. So not only is he, is he getting a better understanding of what Jerusalem is doing, but now he's seeing what's coming. He now has first-hand knowledge of what will transpire. And now that, that concern is there again about what's going to happen. But then it's kind of this sandwich of of great and wondrous things, the terrible future that's coming. And then once again, verse 14, And it came to pass that when my father had read and seen many great and marvelous things, he did exclaim many things unto the Lord, such as great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God Almighty. Thy throne is high in the heavens, and thy power and goodness and mercy are over all the inhabitants of the earth. And because thou art merciful, thou wilt not suffer those who come unto thee that they shall perish. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I know that I have people in my life, and myself included oftentimes, who looks upon the state of the world and the way things are going right now, and the feeling of the approaching, the, the, the oncoming second coming of the Lord, that it's, that it's nigh, and reading in the book of Revelations as we just did, and seeing all those things, and the, what's to come, and the fear that sometimes accompanies that. But we have to remember the promises that were given. And because thou art merciful, thou wilt not suffer those who come unto thee that they shall perish. We have to remember, brothers and sisters, that as we strive to be faithful, that as we strive to truly hold on to the blessings and the gospel and our faith, that we will be blessed and that God will be with us and that, no, that's not going to make the hardships go away. No, that's not going to make us suddenly able to withstand all things and we can do whatever we need to. But it will give us our daily bread. It will provide us with the next step. And as we take one step after the other, after the other, and are guided by the Lord, we then will be able to reach that destination of endless bliss the rest, and, and receive our rest with the Lord. <clears throat> Continuing on in verse 15. 
And after this manner was the language of my father in the praising of his God. For his soul did rejoice, and his whole heart was filled, because of the things which he had seen, yea, which the Lord had shown unto him. And now I, Nephi, do not make a full account of the things which my father hath written. For he hath written many things which he saw in visions and in dreams, and he also hath written many things which he prophesied and spake unto his children, of which I shall not make a full account. But I shall make an account of my proceedings in my day. So there's a lot, Nephi, Nephi indicates that there is a lot here that we don't have um, access to. That, ne that Lehi wrote a lot of things down in a separate record. Now, I don't think that we need to concern ourselves too much with it, because if it was necessary for us, it would, it would be interesting. I, w I won't lie. It would be very interesting, and I would love to have it. But think of it this way. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> Think of it this way. If we had an extra 500 pages in the Book of Mormon, would you study it more? Would you study it more or less? If we had an extra 1,000 pages in the Book of Mormon, would you study it more or less? The, we're told that the Book of Mormon could be, could, could have been a, could have filled a whole bookshelf of, of volumes of different tomes of books of different things that could have been just filled to the brim full of doctrine and teachings and different things. But it was, but Moroni took it and distilled what we needed for our time, for our salvation, for our exaltation. He delivered that to us, what we need. The time will come and we will be able to review those records and we'll read those things. But right now, we have to show that we are doing what we can to, to get the most out of what we have. Not be concerned about, oh, well, there's these other records that we don't have, and I wish we had them. And, okay, sure, that's great, and I agree with you. I would love to have them. But I know that I, for myself, I do not study the Book of Mormon enough to have earned those other scriptures. Why would the Lord give us more books that we can set on our shelves? The world's full of enough books that we can set on our shelves. Continuing on to verse 17. But I shall make an account of my proceedings in my days. Behold, I make an abridgment of the record of my father upon plates which I have made with mine own hands. Wherefore, after I have abridged the record of my father, then will I make an account of my own life. So it kind of goes into this a little bit in the student manual. It says that, I, that Nephi wrote this, his record about 30 years after Lehi's family left Jerusalem and journeyed into the Promised Land. The record begins with an abridgment of his father's record, comprising 1 Nephi 1, chapters 1 through 8. Mormon's abridgment of Lehi's record is in the lost 116 manuscript pages. It was a translation from a portion of the plates called the Book of Lehi. Um, I, for lack of time... Well, we'll just continue on. I don't want to skip anything. Verse 18. Therefore, I would that ye should know that after the Lord had shown so many marvelous things unto my father Lehi, yea, concerning the destruction of Jerusalem, behold, he went forth among the people and began to prophesy and to declare unto them concerning the things which he had both seen and heard. I wonder if it, if how long of a time period this was. We don't have any indication, I don't think, as to how long this was. It could have been, it kind of makes it sound like it's a day, but I doubt it. I doubt it was a day. I would imagine that, there, that Lehi, seeing these things, probably began to talk to Ishmael. 
probably began to talk to other people. And he started talking to the people around him. And he eventually got to the point that he start, he was kind of known as this, he, oh, he's another one of those crackpots who believes, you know, he's a, he's a, a desolationist. He's a, he's a destructionist. He believes that Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. He's one of those people, you know, and, and, and it says right here in verse 19, And it came to pass that the Jews did mock him because of the things which he testified of them. For he truly testified of their wickedness and their abominations. And he testified that the things which he saw and heard, and also the things which he read in the book, manifest plainly of the coming of the Messiah, and also the redemption of the world. So he's got this this duality of of doctrinal preaching that he's doing. He's begging people to repent. And, and he's also doing something that's, that's, that's probably the, the part that's dangerous for him is he's explicitly calling out the sins that people are committing. Now, people are all, people are typically pretty fine to hear someone say, oh, you need to repent, you need to repent, you need to repent until they say, hey, you, John, you need to quit doing X, Y, Z. Suddenly that becomes more personal. That becomes much more of an issue. When, oh, okay, I'm being called out, whether it's in person or in public, that sort of thing, even, even if, if, if you said, okay, the people who live in this area, they live in this neighborhood, the people who live, the people who live in Hurricane or the people who live in, in Orem or the people who live in Salt Lake or the people who live, you know, if you start calling out those areas, those people suddenly become very defensive if their hearts aren't softened to the point where they are willing to repent. And that's where the danger comes in for, for Lehi. He's, he has had their sins laid out plainly to them. And he wants them to know that if they would repent, the Messiah is coming. And he will save you from your sin, save you from your sins, if you will give them to him, if you will give them away. And this doesn't have to happen. But the hearts of the people are hardened beyond a feeling at this point. And so we see here in verse 20, And when the Jews heard these things, they were angry with him. Yea, even as with the prophets of old, whom they had cast out and stoned and slain. And they also sought his life, that they might take it away. Behold, I, Nephi, will show unto you that the tender mercies of the Lord are over all those whom he hath chosen, because of their faith to make them mighty even unto the power of deliverance. All right, last little bit in the student manual for today. Elder David A. Bednar of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles described the tender mercies of the Lord. Quote, I testify that the tender mercies of the Lord are real and that they do not occur randomly or merely by coincidence. Often the Lord's timing of his tender mercies helps us to both discern and acknowledge them. The Lord's tender mercies are the very personal and individualized blessings, strength, protection, assurances, guidance, loving kindness, consolation, support, and spiritual gifts which we receive from and because of and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Truly the Lord suits his mercies according to the conditions of the children of men. One of the ways whereby the Savior comes the Savior comes to each of us is through his abundant and tender mercies. For instance, as you and I face challenges and tests in our lives, the gift of faith and an appropriate sense of personal confidence that reaches beyond our own capacity are two examples of the tender mercies of the Lord. Repentance and forgiveness of sins and peace and peace of conscience are examples of the tender mercies of the Lord and the persistence of and fortitude that enables us to press forward with cheerfulness through physical limitations and spiritual difficulties are examples of the tender mercies of the Lord. That comes from his 
April 2005 General Conference talk. This continues on. From 1 Nephi 1.20, we learn that through the rest of his writings, Nephi is intent on showing us how the Lord will deliver the righteous. Watch for this repeating theme throughout 1 Nephi. Brothers and sisters, I honestly believe that that is part of the doctrine that, that the Lord is trying to get to us through the writings of Nephi. That as we strive to keep our eyes focused on His glory, and as we do our best to stay faithful to Him, we will receive that salvation. We will receive the help and the aid that we need. I testify that these things are true. And I pray that we will continue on, that we will continue to pray and to study the Book of Mormon, that we might be able to gain the greater spiritual strength we need. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.